You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. We all hit breaking points in our lives. Points where we have no idea what to do. Points where we're waiting on something to give. Points where we're waiting for direction, for clarity. If you've been with us these last few weeks, you know we've been in our Advent series. Advent is a time where Christians have historically highlighted our anticipating, our longing, our waiting for our King Jesus, who came once in weakness as a child, and who's coming again in glory as the champion of the universe. And waiting for him Waiting in general can be so difficult. Uh, Sisters, how fitting that you were talking about waiting at coffee and conversations this morning. Beloved, waiting is often the period our sense of weakness and therefore our sense of desperation increases. The longer we have to wait, the less sure we are of what to do, what to think, how to solve the problems before us. And surely, surely God must say something to us in these moments. Surely he has a word, a direction for us. The theologian and civil rights leader Howard Thurman, who was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., said that Christianity must have something to say to the woman, to the man who stands with their back against the wall. Friend, is that you? How will you fix your problems? What will you rely on if you can't. Turn to 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. It's on page 263 of those pew Bibles around you. If you're new to looking at the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers and the little numbers are the verses. 1 Kings chapter 3. In this Advent series, we, the new Israel, those who believe in Jesus, have been looking at the kings of ancient Israel so that we might better see King Jesus. Pastor Greg showed us Saul. Last week we looked at David, and today we look at David's son, Solomon. Solomon. And my prayer is that in seeing the wisdom God gives to his king, Solomon, and the justice God gives to his people, you would be inspired with hope this Advent season. So much so that you yourself would boldly ask for and rely on the wisdom of God. Sisters and brothers, may he give us all wisdom as we wait.
wisdom as we wait. Before we look at our passage, let's just look at the context leading up to it so we can understand what's going on. Uh, King King David has a son who takes the throne and that son's name is Solomon. And God comes to Solomon early in his reign and he says, ask me for anything you'd like. Friends, God isn't stingy. He's generous. And yet Solomon doesn't ask for long life. He doesn't ask for riches. No, much to God's delight, Solomon asks for wisdom. Wisdom. Look at chapter three, verse seven. Chapter three, verse seven. Solomon prays, oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Pause. Just so you know, Solomon is alluding to God's promise to Abraham to bless and multiply his descendants so that they are as numerous as the stars in the sky. And sure enough, God did just that. He kept his promise to Abraham, and so Solomon is ruling over the nation of Israel, which has a huge population at this point, and seeing how God kept his promise encourages Solomon to ask more of God. God's past faithfulness gives Solomon confidence for God's future faithfulness. And so Solomon, in light of all this, asks God in verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Just as an aside, this is something you can always pray for me and the elders as we lead this congregation. Wisdom. Something I'm trying to be better about is praying through our church prayer member calendar. ICC members, you can access this on the portion, the members portion of the website. It's been freshly updated as of three days ago. Uh, Friends, we want to faithfully pray for each other. So today is December 11th. So on the 11th, uh, we're praying for Michael Harrison, Lilian Lahatch, Ross and Anna Hawkins, David and Savannah Herter, Mason Hicks, Daniel and Aaron Howell, and Jesse Hoyer. Beloved, other church members are faithfully and regularly praying for you. Please do be praying for other members. Even if you don't know them, you can just pray they have wisdom. And when you come to my name on this calendar, please especially pray the Lord would give me wisdom as I lead. All right, aside over. That's the context. King Solomon asked for wisdom and immediately we're brought into the king's court, really a courtroom of sorts where Solomon would need wisdom. Would God give it to him? Would he answer Solomon's request? That's the question as we head into Solomon's courtroom where a tragic case is put before the king. It's a case that is rooted in the sorrow of two mothers. The sorrow of two mothers. First Kings chapter three, verse 16, read with me. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. 
pause. If you're wondering how prostitutes could have access to the king, passages like Deuteronomy 16 and 19 tell us there was a legal practice that permitted Israelites to appeal directly to the king. Back to the courtroom. Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The woman, woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast when I rose in the morning to nurse my child. Bald, he was dead. But, but when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Let's pause there. Friends, this is the case brought before King Solomon. A dispute between these two women about who actually is the mother of this living boy. Beloved, I feel the need to address something right up front because the Bible is an honest book. It does not paint the human experience with rose-colored glasses. And one of the most tragic parts of the human experience is the death of a child. As I said in this past week's manifold, I picked the sermon passages months in advance and in his providence, God has led us to this text which centers around the untimely death of an infant. And whether it be due to miscarriage, stillbirth, or some kind of other tragedy, I know the death of a child is a particular grief that too many of you know personally. Friends, God sees you. I see you. And I am so sorry. I don't know why. God has allowed this trial to befall you and those you love. Sure, we can rehearse the reasons God gives us generally about his purposes for suffering. Passages like James won't speak to that. But why this particular trial? I have to be honest and say, I don't know. But I do know that it's okay to be sad. Beloved, God grieves death as we see when Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb. Friends, God is not indifferent. I know that. Moreover, I know that one out of every five pregnancies ends in miscarriage. And I say this, beloved, not to say that miscarriages aren't a big deal, but to say that they are all too common and we do ourselves a great disservice if we don't talk about them in the church and equip you to walk through this valley of the shadow of death. Sisters and brothers, this, this cannot be a taboo subject in the church of God. 
But how many mothers and fathers have felt isolated in the grief of miscarriages? How many mothers and fathers have listened to lies from the enemy saying that this trial is their fault when it's not? Friends, if you are walking through the valley of the shadow of the death of a child, born or unborn, please let us, the pastors, our women's ministers, our church, walk with you. Myself and Cam, pastors here, Jane and Lauren, women's ministers here, will be at the back door after the service. We'd happily sit with you. And for the rest of us, friends, let's be a church that prays for and loves and walks alongside those experiencing the loss of a child. Let's be a church that deals with the hard things in life, just as our Lord's book does. Beloved, let's be a church where no one is isolated. And let's be a church that, remember, that remembers that death and darkness do not have the last word. Church family, Advent is a time where we remember that Jesus came into a dark world. If you have felt that the world is so dark, so broken, that people are so dark, so broken, you're in the right place. The pastors of this church, the elders, we had an elders retreat this past weekend where we shared what's good and what's hard in our lives and in the church's life. Justin Allen, one of our pastors, made the comment that he doesn't remember a year where so many other people's year was so dark. Beloved, it seems like more people than ever are struggling And so, friends, I trust God's wisdom in leading our church to this passage, especially during the season of Advent, as waiting and darkness are such relevant themes at this time. Still, though, that doesn't mean the matters this text raises are easy to deal with. I mean, here we see just how dark the world can be. Our passage mentions so much darkness, it's hard to even name it all. Kidnapping. Lying, stealing, quarreling. Imagine the grief of both these mothers. One child is dead, the other stolen. These two mothers are at each other, friends. This is the case presented in the courtroom. How will King Solomon resolve it? How will, well, how will he resolve this dilemma? By the wisdom only God can give. Look, at, look with me at verse 23. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. So Solomon summarizes the arguments put before him. Remember, no one else was in the house, verse 18 said, so there are no witnesses to corroborate either testimony. And the king said, verse 24, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Friends, let's just pause here. Feel the tension of this scene. I mean, it's so interesting. Last week, our passage made clear there was no sword in the hand of David. But now in the king's hand, there is a sword. And would he use it for harm? I mean, that's what it sounds like. Okay, so you say the baby's yours, 
and you say the baby's yours. No one knows the truth, so you guys can each have half. Would the king use his power for harm? No, friends, that is not the king's heart. Let me state this clearly. We care about life. God cares about life. He has always cared about life and will always care about it. Beloved, we believe life begins at conception. That's why we mourn miscarriages. And we believe life is precious. And that all people, big and small, old and young, white, black, and brown, rich and poor, regardless of what they believe or what they've done, all people are made in the image of God and therefore are worthy of respect and dignity and love, which is why the king's wisdom sounds so strange. Right? Like you're going to do what? It sounds like that time God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son whom he had waited years for. I mean, surely you can relate to this. Christian, has the wisdom of God, the ways of God ever seemed so strange to you? Borderline harsh or scary to you? But then again, there's a reason an old Christian hymn says God moves in mysterious ways. Ways that make us scratch our head. Ways that can seem scary until we see the resolution of them. And resolution is what we need in this courtroom. And this is the climax of the scene. Everyone there is wondering what will happen to this boy. Answer. He will be protected by one of the strongest forces of nature in the universe, a mother's heart. Solomon says, split the baby in verse 26, look with me. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the other woman, the lying woman, the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other woman said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Friends, you know you're in a bad place when it's not just enough for you to win, but that other people have to lose for you to be satisfied like the lying woman here. But let's keep going because the matter has become clear. And so Solomon renders a verdict, verse 27. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman. And by no means, I love this. The king is repeating the mother's words after her, saying, by no means put the boy to death. King Solomon says, showing his commitment to life and to justice. And because he is committed as such, he declares she. This woman whose heart yearned for her son is the boy's mother. What a scene. Sisters and brothers, this might be my favorite text I've preached all year. I mean, God isn't mentioned explicitly until the end of the passage, but you better believe he's been in the mix the whole time. You better believe he answered Solomon's prayer request for wisdom, has he not? This passage is clear proof, vindication that God answered the king's request for wisdom. Friends, what is the wisdom of God? 
the wisdom that is from above. James tells us clearly it's not bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and lying, all of which we saw in the one woman who wasn't the mother. No, that is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, James writes in James chapter 3, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Friends, isn't that what King Solomon embodied in this tense moment? You know, you too can embody it. We too can ask for the same things kings ask God for, wisdom. And God, James 1.5 says, will happily give it. Christian, do you pray for wisdom from above? You need wisdom from above. As you wait on God in this dark and broken world, do you pray for it? I'm getting ahead of myself because I'd be remiss to not meditate a bit further on the heart of a mother we see here. I love how this passage honors motherhood. Now, before I say anything further, Iron City, let me say, I know some of you long for motherhood. And I know others of you may not long for it. And that's okay. Because being a mom or getting married, that is not the pinnacle of being a woman. Glorifying God is. A friend of mine named Rebecca McLaughlin writes, it is vital that we stop presenting marriage and by extension having biological children as the telos, the ultimate end and goal for Christian women. A good marriage is a wonderful thing. But the New Testament makes clear that it is not better than gospel-hearted singleness. That is being single so you can be wholly devoted to the Lord. Quite the reverse, Rebecca writes. 1 Corinthians 7 makes clear that gospel-hearted singleness is the superior state to be in. Not because getting married is wrong, but because the married man and married woman are necessarily concerned with pleasing their spouse, but the single man and single woman can be wholly devoted to the Lord. And yet, Rebecca writes, so often we raise little girls to think that marriage plus kids is their ultimate purpose for existence and we let single adult women be marginalized, end quote. To my single sisters, I'm so sorry for the ways Christian culture may have devalued your status in life. But know that the Bible lifts it high and that God sees you. And that you don't have to be a biological mother to have spiritual children. And that your devotion to the Lord powerfully proclaims his glory. With that said, what I love about the text in front of us is that it makes clear that being a mom is a wonderful thing. The staff was praying through this passage at our staff meeting 
This past week in Lauren Hansen, one of our women's ministers prayed in light of this text saying, thank you God for how we see the heart of a mother in this passage to give of herself completely. So I've commended our single women, tried to comfort women who have lost children. Let me speak to those of you who have children. Those of you who are worn out. Those of you who are being thrown up on in the middle of the night. Those of you who are helping children grow up into faithful adulthood. Those of you who are climbed on like jungle gyms. Those of you who pray for prodigals. Those of you who are nursing and literally pouring out life to your children. Sisters, you are showing the heart of a mother to give of herself completely and the Lord sees you. And your children need you. And even if they don't appreciate all that you're doing, the Lord sees it and says, well done, faithful servant. And I pray your own children rise up one day and call you blessed. Beloved, I have never said amen so loudly than when I read this quote by Charles Spurgeon, which someone showed me after my own mother died. Spurgeon writes, never could any man ever estimate what he owes to a godly mother. So sisters, you keep on loving and sacrificing yourself for your babies. You keep on being like this godly mother we see in our text. And my mom would have me tell you all this because I know Janice Bean Adams would do exactly what this mother did. Because it is exactly what any godly mother would do if she could. She would save her child's life. Amen? Friends, in this passage, the mom who offered up her son gets back her son. And God's wisdom is on full display in Solomon. And everyone can see it. Verse 28, all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. To do justice. That's what God's king was supposed to do. From day one, Adam, the first man to ever leave, was set up as a king over creation. He was to rule under God, but over creation. But Adam rebelled against God. And like him, all of his descendants would too. Friends, we, you, 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 would and you have committed spiritual treason. Though you have the wisdom of God available to you, if you would but ask. Though you have the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote. Beloved, Solomon wrote Proverbs so that you and I could have wisdom. In Proverbs 1, he literally writes the book of Proverbs to know wisdom and instruction. To understand the words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Friends, though we all should have lived righteous, just, and equitable lives, we instead chose our own way, our own wisdom, wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And so we were without God and without hope, deserving eternal death for our sins. 
but God. Beloved, Advent is a wonderful time because it reminds us that God hasn't forgotten us and he would send his wisdom from above. And that wisdom wasn't just insight about what we should do in any particular moment. That wisdom wasn't just skill at applying knowledge to life. No, this wisdom became flesh and bone. Friends, in talking about the wisdom of God from James, it's not just a matter of what this wisdom is, but who it is. A king who, when he came down from above, said one greater than Solomon is here. Beloved, I'm talking about King Jesus, who was, as we heard earlier, the wisdom of God. King Jesus would walk this earth exemplifying, abounding with purity, peace, gentleness, reason, mercy. Friends, I'm just listening What wisdom from above is that James described earlier. And what I want you to see is that wisdom came down from above in the person of King Jesus. Was he not pure, peaceable, gentle, merciful? Let me just talk about his mercy for a minute because King Solomon was not the only king to ever have prostitutes come before him. Friends, you remember how a prostitute came before Jesus? with an alabaster flask of ointment and she washed his feet. Do you remember how people responded to her? The Pharisees and disciples shamed her, scolded her for her actions, but not Jesus. Not wise Jesus. No, King Jesus, full of mercy and good fruit, said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done what she could. Y'all could have done more for me. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And watch this, because the forgiveness of sins is actually connected to the oil this prostitute poured on Jesus. People thought she was just pouring out oil on him, but wise King Jesus said in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. For burial. King Jesus came to be buried. That's how he would save us, through death. You think Jesus would come and strengthen with an army as a knight in shining armor to save us, but no, he comes in weakness, in lowliness. The way he saves us looks so backward, so pathetic. I mean, death? You remember earlier we were saying the wisdom of God can seem so strange, but then again, God has always worked this way. He tells a 99-year-old, crusty Abraham, that he will have a son. You read Genesis and you're like, seriously, God, that's your strategy. 
At Jericho, God tells people to walk around the city for a few days and blow horns for a military victory? Seriously, God, that's your strategy? He calls for a sword in Solomon's courtroom. It says, split the baby. Seriously, God, this is your strategy? And to save his people, God would offer up his only son to hang on a Roman cross. And friends, that is his strategy. To save and to provide in such a way that it cannot be denied that it was God who did it. And therefore, no one deserves the credit for such a provision, for such a salvation, but God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Beloved, God saves and provides and acts in ways that seem completely backward to us and in ways that we would never choose to make clear that it's his power. And so Jesus was crucified. He hadn't even ever done anything wrong, but you have. Yet you can't even save yourself by leaning on your own wisdom or leaning on your own good works. No, your only hope is that Jesus died the death you deserve for your sins. And he did it because he loves you. The father loves you, Chip. Friends, in our text, we saw the heart of a mother that reflects the heart of our heavenly father. The mother was willing to give up her only son that he might live. And beloved, God the father gave up his only son that you might live. And I speak of life because wise King Jesus was raised to life on the third day after his murder. And he now offers life to anyone, including spiritual prostitutes like you and me. Friends, Jesus offers eternal life to anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him. Do that today. Come to this wise king who has come so that you might have life and life in abundance Beloved, like King Solomon, Jesus did not come to harm, but to heal, to save, to protect and do what's just. That's why I love Advent and Christmas time. We sing songs reminding us of the goodness and justice of our King. We sing, he rules the world with truth and grace. We sing, change shall he break. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And like all Israel, in verse 28, we stand in awe of a king. Because we perceive that he is the wisdom of God. Beloved, how Solomon resolved this dilemma and how we're saved is by the same thing. The wisdom of God who has come and will come again. To Jew justice to judge those who do not turn to him, those who try to lie to him like this one woman did, and to save those who completely rely on him, those who give their whole lives to him and in turn receive eternal life. Beloved, this text ends with life. A passage that began in tragedy ends on a note of wonder, of awe, I love how the flow of our text follows the trajectory of the Christian life. It begins in tragedy and it can continue and it can continue in tragedy and sorrow. Some of you are living there now. Hannah and Greg, my sister and brother, you will have hard days in Morocco. But remember this, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And it will end in wonder, in worship 
in awe at the sight of the king who judges impartially, who is full of mercy, whose kingdom has no end. From here to Morocco, to the ends of the earth, his kingdom shall have no end. And on that note, let me end by saying this. I was reading Proverbs the other day. Try to read something out of Proverbs every day in my quiet time. And Proverbs 29, 14 says, if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Beloved, we saw that King Solomon faithfully judged these poor prostitutes. His reign seemed so promising. Solomon's throne so glorious until it wasn't. Until he, like Saul and David, sinned grievously. And king after king who came after Solomon followed suit. The kingdom crumbled, and the dynasty of God's kings seemed all but defeated for a long time. Centuries, it looked like the throne was lost. Talk about waiting. But then Solomon, someone in Solomon's lineage came, King Jesus, the wisdom of God, who saves us poor wretches in such a way that we can boast in nothing else but him. He saved us in complete justice, He's coming again to establish perfect justice. And so Solomon's proverb will stand true. The king who faithfully judges and saves the poor, his throne will be established forever. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we lack wisdom and so we do what you tell us to do. We ask for it. We ask for him, Jesus Christ, to be among us, his spirit to fill us, and his presence to satisfy us. In his name we pray, amen.